you are uh, just joining us, uh, we have spent um, almost two months walking through the Lord's Prayer together. And, uh, you know, the title of the, the series has been, Are You Praying or Just Saying? Right? This morning, if you prayed in some way, the question we've asked ourselves, were you praying? Were you really praying or were you just saying this morning? Were you just saying words? Was, was it something you just did because that's what you do and then you checked it off as something you done, you know? And we've been really asking ourselves, well, what is it to pray? How many of us kind of just, for whatever reason, slide into just saying and not really praying, right? And, and we've seen that the heart of prayer is its relationship that our, our word picture for understanding the Lord's Prayer is FaceTime, right? When you FaceTime somebody, it's radically different than texting someone because now there's someone on the screen and it's now a relationship. It just got real, right? And so if we're going to be praying and not just saying, we have to stop because truth be known, we've prayed, what, about three or four times already this morning. So this morning, even as a church, were we praying or just saying? Do we, do we really pray for the offering or do we just say the offering prayer because that's on the roadmap and that's what every church does is you're supposed to pray before you take the money. Did we pray or did we just say? Right? It, 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 you got to slow down. You really got to slow down and ask yourself as a believer in the, under the new covenant, what does it really mean to pray? And this model is, is Jesus' answer to one of his disciples saying, hey, can you teach us how to pray? Can you teach us how to have face time with Father? Because we don't want to just say, we want to pray. We want it to mean something because it's a relationship. And so what we've been doing and why you're standing is in this series, we've been reciting what we call the Lord's Prayer, or the Our Father. But really, it's designed to kind of check us even as we read it, even as we recite it. Are you praying this? Or are you just saying this? And what, what does that mean? What does that mean? So let's say this together. It's from Matthew 6, 9 to 13. Right? Ready? Begin. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. You may be seated, right? Again, if you're visiting, welcome. You know, we, we've been focusing the last several weeks on the very last line of the Lord's Prayer. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And, and we've seen really the heart of it. As we walk through each of the lines of that prayer is we've been asking, Father, what is the heart behind that? What is the heart behind that? Because I've shared with you many times before, I grew up in the Roman Catholic tradition. I learned the Our Father. Gosh, it's one of the first things I learned probably in my entire life, right? I can still recite it. I still know it. But how many of the years and years was that just saying? Because I never took the time and I was never challenged to take the time to say, what, what does that even mean? What does that even mean? And, and, and we saw way back that, that even just the first two words, our Father, right? Right off the bat, changes everything. Our Father, Father's Abba, Papa, Daddy, right? And not everyone can say this prayer. This prayer is for believers. He says, hey, if you're a believer, if you're a child of God, don't just say stuff. Don't just throw it up there randomly. Don't just recite something that you don't even remember what you just said two seconds later. He says, have a conversation with your Father, have a conversation with Papa. Have a conversation with Daddy and say, hey, 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 Papa, Abba, here's my heart for today. Here's my heart for today. And we've walked through almost, what, 14, three months plus of what is this? What is the heart? What is this heart? Right. And and the last one, Matthew six thirteen, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil has been our focus the last several weeks. What is the heart behind that? Well, we talked about what is temptation, what isn't temptation, what does it mean to be tested? And then specifically last week, we, we looked at this last phrase, deliver us from the evil one. 
right? That that's a, that's a heart cry. The word picture, that word deliver, is, is a soldier out on the battlefield who's been wounded and can't move, can't save himself, can't get out of the line of fire, can't make it back to his own buddies. And one of his buddies crawls, runs, does whatever he has to do, grabs him and drags him off the battlefield to safety. That's the word picture. When you're praying, when I'm praying to Father, Father, today, I know I'm going into an evil world. I know I'm going to be tempted. Would you protect me? When I'm falling and I'm helpless, will you come get me and drag me out of this mess? That's the heart cry behind this. This is the conversation you're having, right? And why is this important? Because it says, lead us not into temptation. We saw earlier, everybody in this room, if you're alive on this planet, you're tempted. You're tested, and the word temptation is really testing. It's if you have a precious metal, you put fire on it, you test it, you refine it through fire. That's really what the word temptation is. Now, the enemy comes in, and we saw that the root of temptation, when the enemy comes in, I'm being tested, you're being tested, the enemy comes in, and the root of temptation is what? Hey, act independently. Take, take control of this. You got this. You don't need the church. The church is a crutch. Christianity is a crutch. The Bible's a crutch. You got this. You're self-made. You've been independent. You pulled yourself up by the bootstraps. Just take care of it. That's the root of temptation. That's when the enemy comes into your life and my life. When you're being tested, stretched for God's purpose to grow your faith, the enemy will come in, fear, doubt, insecurity, anger, confusion, lies, deceptions. Say, nah. You take care of it. We looked at that when Jesus was tempted in the wilderness. Hey, hey, son of God, why don't you turn these stones into bread? You've been fasting for 40 days. Just take care of it, Jesus. You got this, right? What was the temptation in that moment? Act independently. You got this. You can handle this. Just snap your fingers. Bread? Stone to bread. What's the big deal? The big deal was... He was acting independently of Father. So for us even, you're going to leave here, and I guarantee at some point today, before you go to sleep, you're going to be tested. By golly, you're going to be tested probably before you leave this parking lot because someone's going to take the last donut that you wanted. <laughs> and you're going to, right? You're going to have to check yourself. Or you're going to get to that potluck line, you're like, all the salad's gone. I, right? It's, it's humanness. It's humanness. How many of you were a little tested with the detour on the way to church? Because your routine got messed up. And you had to wait for the runners to go by. And you're like, really? Really? As if the marathon was supposed to check with you and me. Excuse me, is this Okay. Right? But because our routine got kind of out of whack and what we assumed was going to happen because it always works this way, how many of you come to church the exact same way every Sunday? Honest. Right? How many of you get to church and you've been talking and watching YouTube or whatever you've been doing and you don't remember the drive here because you're on such automatic pilot? Right? Right? At school, you pretty go, you, how many of you at school go from class to class the exact same route every day? We're people of routine. So when our routine gets disrupted for whatever reason, it's when we... Right? You thought you paid that bill. Anyone? And you get the notice. And you're like, what? And how many of you turn right to, honey! <laughs> did you pay this? Any? There's, there's some truth in that. You guys just all out. It's not like, oh, I messed up. It's like, honey... What happened? Right? In those moments when we're caught off guard, in those moments when life happens, is when you're tested and tempted. Right? That's why Jesus told his disciples in the garden, hey, watch and pray, lest you be brought into temptation, lest you enter into. We're to watch and to pray. We're, uh, you got to be vig- vigilant. You got to. Right? It's when we let down our guard, it's when we get kind of. It's good. Life is good. Ah, yeah, I don't need to go to church. 10 a.m. football games. Boom. Don't need to read. Boom. Don't need to pray anymore. Boom. Don't need to go to Bible study. Boom. Don't. No. Why? I'm good. And it's those moments of good 
that you're already being tested and tempted to act independently. Right? Not connecting to the body of Christ regularly when Hebrews 10 says, let us not neglect the gathering. So an ultimate, one of the ultimate acts of independence is not even being connected to a local body if you're a professing believer. The Bible says, don't neglect gathering. You ne- you, well, why don't we neglect? Why do we, why do we choose not to connect? Because I don't need it. I'll stay home and watch the sermon on TV. Right? Because the challenging part about church is the church is made up of who? Who is the church made up of? Us. Us. Perfect us, right? Perfect us. We, we smile at each other all the time. We never step on each other's toes around here. We're never rude. We're never disrespectful around here. We always think of others first around here. Amen? Right? Because what do I tell you regularly? If you find the perfect church, don't join it. Why? Because you'll mess it up. Right? Because that's just who we are. So even in the context of church, why do people sometimes stop connecting to church? Because it's made up of people, imperfect people, imperfect pastors, imperfect everything. Because we're all just saved by grace. Amen? And we're all in process. So this prayer, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, we saw is a heart cry of protection. God, guard my heart today from acting independent of you. Easier said than done, because we are raised in a culture of independence. We're raised in a culture of self-sufficiency. We're raised in a culture of privacy to where we're even afraid to ask the person sitting next to you for prayer because you're struggling with something or you failed in something or you're confused about something. We're so afraid, even in the church, of what people are going to think about us if we wave a white flag of help that rather than going into the church, we retreat into independence. And that's the temptation. That's the testing, right? And so we saw deliver us from the evil one, right? He's talking about kind of the evil. There's three enemies. You know, we talk about the world, the flesh, and the devil. And and 1 Peter 5, 8 says, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to what? Devour, right? So the enemy, the devil doesn't want to just mess with you. It's not like, oh, you know, he's just messing with me. No, no, no. Eh. The devil wants to destroy you and your marriage and your kids. Absolutely. It's not a game. It's like serious business. It's not like, oh, you know, sometimes it's weird, right? We say, oh, the devil's messing with you. No, he's not messing with you. He wants to destroy you. That's the purpose. That's the plan. That's the plan. Right? They rejoice in your downfall. That's the plan. It's not a game, right? It's not a game. First John 5:19. We know that we are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. So we talked about before, the devil's not going to come at some big scary monster because if he shows up big scary, he knows he's going to scare you right to Jesus. You're going to start praying, you're going to come to church, you're going to read your Bible if you had some big scary experience. No. It's the other way. It's all good. It's all good. Right? The enemy's slick. Very, very smart. Very, very smart. He could deceive Eve in the garden. Right? And sometimes he gets us just to look at the culture and say, ah, the culture ain't so bad. It's fine. Right? We talked last Sunday. We don't live in a morally neutral world. And I love this quote by Andy Stanley. He says, we don't live in a morally neutral climate. Every day we interface with a culture of sensuality, gluttony, and greed. Ours is a culture that encourages us in the most provocative way to do everything in our power to try to satisfy appetites that can never be fully and finally satisfied. We live in a culture that is dead set against God and his revealed word. The culture is doing everything it can constantly, 24-7, 365, to get you to think about you and to do it your way. Right? Everything is have it your way. Have it your way. And you look at the social political issues facing this country, what's at the root of it? Do it your way. You don't need God. We don't need God as a culture. We'll redefine and we'll restructure everything. 
according to what we think. Our culture, our country has gone down the path of complete independence from God. That's what's going on. The devil has gotten in and at the highest levels it says, you, USA, do not need God. You're smart enough, you're intelligent enough, it's 2019, all that stuff is archaic, it's all old school. It's the ultimate temptation to be independent from God. That is what's going on when you read the newspaper, when you're reading everything, all these social issues, things being redefined, all that. It is the ultimate act of independence from God's revealed word. And here's the thing. It's gotten to the point now where you've got you to pick. You've got to pick. I had some um, friends years and years ago, fellow pastors, and they, we talked about where the culture was going. And we were very, you know, we had to take a deep breath because it's, it's, we appreciate and thank you very much for the, uh, that's all the surprise, which, what just happened, the appreciation. I get that. But I also understand very clearly that in the state of the culture, you're, you're clapping for us and there's people outside of these walls that hate us. I understand that. 100% understand. In this valley and around this country, the fact that I open up here and I believe in the Word of God and I teach you the Word of God, I am not going to get Christmas cards from many people. I understand that part of it. But I also understand what I'm called to do. And I understand that, like you said, it's who I am. It's what we do, and, and that's why I covet your prayers. We covet your prayers because, yeah, the way the culture is going, you've got to have to pick. You're going to have to choose. And that makes you kind of nervous. And that's why you go back to this prayer. It says, Father, in ourselves, we can't do this. Deliver us from evil. And we saw last Sunday the crazy thing is, like John in John 17, Jesus is praying for you and for me, and he says this, Hey, Father... I have given them your word and the world has hated them because they are not of the world just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. This is Jesus' prayer. We talked about it last Sunday. He's like, hey, my church, my, my followers, Father, would you not remove them from the planet? How many of you would have loved to say the prayer and be gone? Anyone we talked about, right? You say the sinner, like Russell. Hey, Alexa, how does you accept Jesus into my heart? Alexa, Alexa, right? His mom comes out, leads Russell to the Lord, and Russell goes, okay, beam me up, Scotty. Wouldn't that be so cool? You get saved and you're peace out. But no. Jesus says, no, stay. Stay here because you have a mission, church. You have a mission, the Great Commission. Father, keep them from the evil one. But you, you, we, you and I, we have a mission. And our mission field isn't necessarily Mexico. It's called the Ojai Valley. And it's not necessarily to get in people's face and beat them over the head and anything crazy. It's just to live your life. Just live your life. Let them see the fruit of the Spirit. Right? But we've got to understand, it's intentional that we're here. We're here for a purpose way bigger than you and me. We are here for a purpose way beyond any one of us. It's called the church. It's called the kingdom of God. Right? And so how do we do this? If, we're, if, we're, if he's not going to beam us up, and he says, stay here, go into all the world and make disciples, right? Great commission. What do we do? Because in Ephesians 4, it says, I therefore, this is Paul speaking to believers, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Everyone say Walk. So we're to walk. Walk in the Bible here means your daily lifestyle, your conduct. How you live your life is supposed to be worthy of the calling to which you have been called. We looked at this before. That word worthy means this. It's a scale. It's a word picture of a scale. He says, hey, how you live, how you walk should match your talk. That's what that's the word picture. When he says have a walk worthy, he says, hey, you profess all of this, walk all of this. That's what he means. That's what he says. And we said, okay, so we get that. Ephesians 5, 2 says walk in love. Ephesians 5, 8, walk as children. We're to walk. It's a walk. Daily walk, right? How do we do that? Well, Ephesians 5 says this. Look carefully then how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise. 
making the best use of the time because the days are evil. So last Sunday we talked about wisdom. You're going to walk in a way that honors God. You've got to walk in wisdom. What's the definition of wisdom? Practical application of what you already know. Wisdom is applying in your life what you already know. Right? Where do you get wisdom? Proverbs 9.10 The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. Proverbs 1.7 The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. So wisdom begins with knowing the Lord. Reverence, submission to God, right? Stephen Cole says this, True wisdom is based on knowledge, but it is more than knowledge. It is the ability to live in a manner pleasing to God because you understand His truth and you live in constant submission to His Spirit, applying that truth to all of life. It's the Word of God. So you have a relationship with God, you seek wisdom in His Word, right? Jesus says, Father, sanctify them by your truth. So wisdom begins in a vertical relationship with God and then plays out this way as you live out his word. That's true biblical wisdom, right? In that verse also, we'll go back to Ephesians 5.15. It says, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise but as wise, making the best use of time because the days are evil. So we've talked about wisdom. This week we're going to focus on making the best use of time. Time. Because because the days are evil. 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 How many of you, if you keep up with current events or what's going on in your own life or whatever, news, how many of you can watch enough of the news to where you leave it pretty depressed, discouraged, bummed, sense of hopelessness, a sense of despair, right? That's out there. That permeates all levels these days. If you're not careful, and I encourage you, please be careful with how much of that you let in. Right? Be careful what you set your mind on, because the Bible says we're to set our minds on things above. Right? So sometimes we get caught up in trying to stay up on current events, and, well, why this and why this? And by the time you're done reading enough, you're enraged. Right? You're angry. And, but the Bible says, hey, set your mind on things above. So you've got to be real careful. Okay, I'm just encouraging you. We're not ignorant. We don't bury our heads in the sands as Christians. That, that's, that's wacky. Be intelligent, be informed, but be very careful when you start to cross the line and, and you're setting your mind more on the things of the world than on God. Amen? Okay, you've got to really check it. And it's really tough right now because it permeates so much that there's a lot of believers, honestly, who are walking around in despair and discouragement and a sense of hopelessness and they're forgetting who they are in Christ. They're forgetting that your name is written in the book of life. You're forgetting that heaven is your home. You're forgetting that God has given you everything you need for life and godliness. So you have been so inundated by the stuff of the world. You've allowed it in. You're chewing on that. You're meditating on that. You're ruminating on that so much that you simply forgot that you're on the winning team. Amen? If you're sitting next to a believer, put a smile on your face and say, We win! Come on, church! We win! Like, I don't know, you know, I, I was watching ESPN highlights last night. I had seen, I had seen this, what happened with the Astros and Yankees. I didn't walk, okay, okay, Astro fan in the house. I had seen that, I had read it already. So I'm watching the highlights, and you see the crowd, everyone's all, oh, oh, Altuve, what's Altuve going to do? And I'm like, he hit the winning home run. And I watched him hit the hitting one room that I already knew he did. You understand what I'm saying? I already knew the outcome. Brothers and sisters in Christ, we already know the outcome. We know the outcome. That's the heart of this prayer. You've got to pray this prayer. You have to go into the world from a position of strength, a position of victory. You've got to get that. You've got to get that. Because the devil is just pounding you constantly, constantly, constantly lying to you, putting you in the corner. Oh, oh, but, 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 but. No. No. We are children of God. If, you, if you're a believer, your name as you sit here is written in the book of life. Well, okay, we got one woo, but that's okay, right? <laughs> woo. 
a woo. Got a woo. I'll take the woo. It's my wife, but woo, right? Okay. So, yeah, there you go. Why, where did the church, I want you to understand this, right? And I'm just being very kind of real. We're having fun with this, but it's so true. There's this heaviness and this weight that you are subjected to constantly. That if you're not careful, if you're setting your mind on that, over time, it is just going to, and you're going to lose your joy. You're going to lose your enthusiasm for the church because you're going to somehow get convinced and lied to that you lost, that it's a lost cause. I don't know, you know? I don't know what happened to my Bible. Here's, I'm, I, have, I go off an iPad, but sometimes I... Here's the deal. If you ever find yourself discouraged as a believer, I give you permission to read the end of the book. <laughs> Amen? Amen? Read the end. Read how it all ends. Read about being delivered from the presence of sin. Read about, you understand where we're going? You gotta, sometimes you gotta go to the, the end. And when you get set and you get that smile, you can go out those doors differently. Right? That's, where we're, that's what I'm talking about. Deliver us from evil. So it, 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 we live in this world that is against us, but we also live in a fallen and broken world. There's a lot of pain out there. There's a lot of pain in my life and in your life. And the challenging part sometimes is that we come to church and, and, and we sit in nice rows in a nice building and everyone looks nice. And we can sit in these rows and kind of make these assumptions about each other that uh, that person got it all together. And wow, these people up front, they must really have it all together because they're the A-team, right? They're, they're behind the mics. They couldn't possibly understand what I'm going through. And it's just not true. It's just not true at all. But the enemy, even in the church, wants you to believe that you're the only one going through it this morning. The enemy wants you to believe that you can't share what's going on. You can't be real with someone here because they're going to judge you. They're going to condemn you. The tribe's going to vote you out of the well because you don't measure up. It's a bunch of hogwash. Right? And that's why I'm so happy that we get to celebrate Something unique. I've never done this in 30 years of ministry. We get to celebrate Sally being alive. <laughs> like, like kind of crazy, right? Yes. Like, I remember, like, Tyler didn't know how to explain this to me. Hey, Richie. Yeah? Sally has a request. She wants to do something special because she's still on the planet. I'm like, like wires crossed because usually they come from him for memorials and after the fact celebration. So I'm like, well, let me figure this out. What, what's going on? He says, well, you know, when she had the brain tumor, she was diagnosed and it was only supposed to be a few years and it's 25 years later and she wants to give glory to God and celebrate with her church family. Really? Like, oh, no. I mean, what are you saying? Like, but here's the thing. I've had the privilege to know Sally uh, almost from when we first got here 20 years ago. And um, I'm going to be honest, if you saw Sally and you don't really know her, but you just see her around the church setting, you think, that's Grandma Sally. She's so sweet and, and she's so encouraging and she writes cards to me. And, you know. But many of you may not actually know Sally's story. Now, you hear about a brain tumor from me and, and from Tyler but I'm not just talking about the celebration of, of God letting her be here through this brain tumor experience. We're talking about Sally's whole life. And uh, the guys went to Sally's house uh, and we asked her to share her life story with us today. And she's going to read it. And, and here's why we're taking this time. It's very important in light of everything we're talking about. The days are not only evil, but they're broken and they're fallen. And the God puts us into the church, and truth be known, we're just sitting around a bunch of broken and fallen people. But again, we get so twisted that everyone around here is dressed so nice and smiles and everything's hunky-dory. Well, my prayer is you listen to Sally's story, is that 
it will put you more at ease about your own story. About your own story. About where you've been, where you maybe are today, and maybe about your future. I, I was listening to this. I read it, and then I watched it. On so many different levels, I'm like, we have to show this. And Father, I pray you would speak to us about your grace in our own journey. In our own journey. Okay? So, Isaac, if you, would, uh, if you guys would play that, that'd be great. I invite you to rejoice and praise and thank God for his gift of life for me and you. God has blessed me with 85 years. We, ha- we all have a story. Let me tell you part of mine. I grew up with a mother who knew the Lord. She was a praying woman. She took me to Sunday school and church. I earned ear pins, not missing a single Sunday for three years. I accepted the Lord when I was around five or six. Our little country church had a visiting missionary. He was so excited about the work uh, and all of his miracles and blessings God had allowed him and the people he taught to see. He asked if anyone wanted Jesus in their heart. I was the only one who went up. I still remember the hot tent in the farmyard, the smell of the farm animals and the heat of the day, not a whisper of a breeze in the air. While he asked me questions and prayed for my walk with God, his heavy, hot, sweaty hands were on my head. He said I would be a new person. I went back to my seat and wondered why I didn't feel any different. Life went on. After many years of growing in the Lord, I understood about what the missionary had said about my life being changed. I had a thirst for learning how God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit wanted me to live my life. God had had a, and has a plan for my life. I went to Bible studies. I read my Bible. God spoke and speaks to me through his scripture. I had my ups and downs. My parents divorced when I was 14. I was daddy's girl, so when mom said he would not care for me like he should, and I had to be with her, I was brokenhearted. My dad was an alcoholic, and I still wanted to be with him. It just didn't happen. My appendix ruptured at 15. After a month of being ill and almost dying, I had exploratory surgery. I tried to bargain with God to let me live long enough to have a baby. How immature I was in my walk with the Lord. I now know you don't bargain with God, but God had God was with me and allowed me to live. I didn't always walk close to my Lord Jesus, but I always came back to him. I was married at 17. I had a beautiful baby girl, Sherilyn, at 18. I married a man I was unequally yoked with. I feared for my child's life and divorced him when I was 19. At the age of 20, thank God, he brought me the love of my life, Charles. Meeting in January, engaged in April, married in November. We had to wait for my divorce to be final. It only lasted 42 and a half years before Charles went home to be with Jesus. Not quite long enough for me. Charles and I had a wonderful marriage. We had Chris, who is now with the Lord too, Carl and Sheila. Charles raised my Sherilyn as his own. We sometimes had his son, Charles Jr. We were blessed with two grandchildren, Jessica and Elias. Charles was blessed to see our first great-grandson, Dane. I was blessed with three more great-grandsons, Drew, Caden, and Victor. And last but not least, my great-granddaughter, Scarlett. Praise God. Raising four children has had its use of problems. One ran away, and one was missing for three years. There were time, those were times I called on the Lord. He gave me strength I needed to handle whatever came my way. Mark 10:27. With the, with man, this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. This verse I spoke to me, and it's a reminder to keep me keep giving for me to keep giving my life and problems to God. I had two of my best friends and a family member that had mental health issues. I was involved in their recovery. The Lord has always been with me my whole life through 
the bad and the good. How could I ever gotten through the news that I had a brain tumor in a very life-threatening place between the carotid artery and the jugular vein going over to the brain stem and the vertebrae? Only 45 people had been recorded at that time with the same type of problem. I asked the doctors about the other 45, how they did. The doctor did not give me any information, but they did say they might lengthen my life five to ten years. They also told me all the bad things that could happen. Death, I could have been a vegetable, be in an iron lung, not able to hear, swallow, talk, or walk are just some of the things. My left vocal cord did not function, but they shimmied that up to the good one, so I have volume. I still have part of the tumor that is between the carotid artery and the jugular vein because the doctors could not remove it from, from, from there without killing me. I did have some old symptoms. I do have some old symptoms I had before, like headaches, eyes seen blurred and doubled sometimes, many odds, aches and pains. It comes and goes. Thank God. I had two weeks before surgery. How do you prepare yourself? Of course, you think of all the things you didn't get done or places you want to go. I always wanted to see the Statue of Liberty. Charles was going, had been in, going in seven years of illness. He told me to go and see the statue. But that, uh, but what fun would that be without my beloved? Now, I told you all, all that, uh, all what I did I told you all that. What did I do when I had, I may have only two weeks to live? I went to my Lord in prayer. I asked him to let me live long enough to care for Charles the rest of his natural life. Praise God. He allowed me to care for my beloved husband. After caring for Charles, I helped care for his brother who died the same year. Then I cared for my mother until she died to be with the Lord. I'm getting ahead of myself. Let's go back to some of the things I did the two weeks I had to prepare for surgery. I looked at pictures. I looked for a picture by Charles wanted of me. While looking for pictures, I made five picture albums. While making the picture albums, I had the TV on. What do you think the Lord gave me to watch? Yes, a special program on the Statue of Liberty. It showed the inside, the outside, and it gave its history. It was a guided tour just for me. Wow, what a special Lord, giving me just what I wanted to do. I did spend much time with the Lord. When I went into surgery, I had confessed my many sins and gave myself completely to the Lord to do with whatever he had planned for me. I surrendered my whole being to him. Was I, uh, was I to care for my Charles or die and go be with Jesus? I praise God he allowed me to care for my Charles. I had prayer for many missionaries in South America Mexico, Spain, and Ireland. And here at home, churches in many states, uh, people, families, and friends were all praying. I thank God for all of them, too. Before my surgery, doctors and nurses came in beside my bed in the prep room. My Charles led a prayer minutes before surgery. Charles prayed for me and all those doctors and nurses. It was a long 12-hour surgery. My Charles and Sherilyn were with me as I drove to the hospital. I just couldn't sit and do nothing. I remember as I looked at the ocean and thought, Lord, thank you for the life you have given me. A loving husband, four wonderful children, two grandchildren. I was blessed. I could only thank God for Jesus and for Jesus loving me and being my example for how to live. I have, I could have bumbled uh, through my life without Jesus but look all I would have missed the love of Jesus my Lord my love of my husband and my children I wanted so much and their children and then their children and the privilege of seeing the fourth generation of our family Psalm 121 says what I feel I lift my eyes to the hills where does my help come from my help comes from the Lord, maker of heaven and earth. He will not let your foot slide. He who watches over you will not slumber. 
Indeed, he watches over Israel, will not slumber or sleep. The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day, the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from harm. He will watch over you, your coming and going, both now and forevermore. You too are a witness to the miracle God has given me, life for 25 years after my brain tumor surgery. Together, let's rejoice in the Lord and praise God with a thankful heart. I, I really love that because um, it's a story. It's a story and there's a lot of pain in there. If you were to read that and she talks about the family issues and the struggles, you know, when you hear someone's testimony like that, there's something comforting in that. Because we all go through that. We were watching um, college football yesterday and Jordan was over and, and a kicker made a field goal and he celebrated like this and we saw a tattoo here and it had a scripture and it was John 16:33 and I'm like, Jordan, and we're looking at it and he looks it up and he goes, hey, that's the one where Jesus says, in this world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world, right? We all have tribulation, Right? So Sally, I, you know, I look forward to it, but, but I, I, I'm praising God for your story. Your story, which is reality for many of us who will never have a brain tumor and understand that, but family issues, health issues, caring, not knowing what's going on, all of that, we can all relate to that. And your, your testimony of hope in the Lord, not perfection, just hope, the steadfastness. And, and this is something that, that I, I really said, you know, we need to do this because in the church, we, the youngers, and I'm going to put myself in the youngers, we need to hear these testimonies. We need to, to in this culture, glean and be encouraged and learn from those who have walked with Jesus further than us, longer than us. Amen? Amen. And we have to not be afraid to say, Sally, how did you do that? Right? Because, Sally, this is what's going on in my life. And, and if you looked at Sally and probably said, Sally, I'm confused. I'm, I, I, I don't know if I can hang on another moment. She'd probably say, with all honesty, I understand. And the fact that she did it and is here is a living testimony. And hopefully for someone here, it's hope and encouragement for this day. Right? I, that's why, I, you know, Garrett came to me before service and said, you know, that video's 10 minutes. I'm like what? Initially, you're like, you know, because we have a roadmap and we have to stick to the plan and we got to get out on time because we have this. And, this. and then I went in there and I watched and I'm like, no, some of the best 10 minutes that somebody here is ever going to hear because of what you're going through or what you will go through, what you will. And if in the midst of what you're going through or will go through, you go, wait, that's Sally lady. Right? Because you all have varying relationships with Sally. Some of you know her very well. Some of you, you Sally who? Because you're just visiting today. But the hope that she has and the walk that she has can be yours in Christ. Right? And in Ephesians 5, it says, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Bill, can you close that door for me? Um, so we saw wisdom, and here's the other thing. How do we do this walk? How do we have a walk worthy? It's time. Time. And in, in just a word of encouragement before we head out. In this verse, that word time is a very specific Greek word. It's kairos. In the Bible, there's two Greek words for time, chronos and kairos. And depending on the context, chronos refers to quantity. Right? In Matthew 2, 7, Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. Psalm 39, 4, Show me, O Lord, my life's end and the number of my days. Let me know how fleeting is my life. Psalm 90, 12, Teach us to number our days aright that we may gain a heart of wisdom. That's chronos. That's where the word, we get the word chrono, uh, chronological. 
That's where we get chronic, something that lasts a long time. So, and it's, this is the word and this is our perception of time that we live in most of the time. It's chronos. You live according to a schedule. Hours, minutes, seconds, days. We live in chronos most of the time. Right? But this word says if you're going to walk carefully in days that are evil and fallen, you have to walk with kairos. What is kairos? It's a very specific view of time, biblical view of time, which is seeing time as quality, windows of opportunity. That's kairos. It's quality emphasized over quantity. Case in point, here's, you're experiencing them both right now. So we have a service that starts at 10 o'clock and ends somewhere around 1130-ish, right? So in one sense, there's chronos. Well, what time does it start? What time does it end? A lot of people come to church, chronos. What time do we have to be there? What time are we pulling out? That's a chronos mindset, okay? Not good or bad, it's just, that's his. Some people, and you could radically change your church experience, your gathering experience, if you say, hey, wait, it's 10 to 11.30, I got to make the most of that. Now you're coming with kairos. I want to bless people. I got to serve. I want to be fully engaged. Do you see the difference? Suddenly there's life in your life. Suddenly church changes because you're not coming here chronos. Hey, he went over again. You're like, wait, Kairos. I got to make the most of whoever I'm sitting next to. So turn to that, just put a big smile on your face. Kairos, just make the most of whoever you're next to, right? Right? It's windows of opportunity. He says, hey, the days are evil. Redeem the time. Make the most of every opportunity. Live in Kairos. Because this window, okay, here's, let me example. This exact configuration of people today will never exist again. So there is a Kairos moment, amen? You can endure it in Kronos, or you can say, wait a sec. There's no guarantee that so-and-so is even going to be next to me next. This, this group, you, us, right here, will never be this again. This exact makeup of people in this exact situation, this is a one-off, right? So is this, are we just getting through another service? Or are we like, no, I'm vested. Kairos, let's do this. That's a choice. It's a choice you and I make, not just for church, but the rest of your life. Everywhere you're going, if you will adopt a Kairos mindset, you know what happens? Your eyes go like this. And now at work, and now with your friends, you're looking for kairos moments. And here's the challenging part. Kairos moments kind of come when they're inconvenient. Because suddenly someone wants to talk. Or they call you, hey, or they're texting you. And you're challenged at that moment. Oh, do I take this call? Do I take this call? Oh. But then you do. And as you're ministering to someone, you're like, This is a Kairos moment. God's using me to love this person. God's using me to listen because they just need an ear. God's using me because they just needed a hug today. And suddenly you find fulfillment and joy in every day, in the mundane things of life, because it's not just Kronos. You're not just enduring it. You're engaged in it. Amen? You're engaged in life. There was a survey and it's kind of actually kind of sad. They surveyed, it says, they asked people, what do you have to live for? 94% answered they were just enduring today and living for tomorrow. 94% enduring today, living for tomorrow. See the chronos in that? Let's just, let's just get on till Jesus comes back. Right? That's the church. Take up my cross and follow Jesus. Got to endure. No, that's Kronos. He calls us to Kairos. Redeem the time. I, I still take my daughter to school, still pick her up. I have about an 8 to 10 minute Kairos window with her to school and from school. It's not just getting her and dropping her off. I, how's your day? What's going on? What do you got going today? 
I take full advantage of eight minutes of kairos with my daughter. Right? It's, it's seeing not just enduring, but engaging in kairos moment. So there's kairos, there's chronos, and there's a third word in the Bible related to time, and it's pronounced noon. If you want to say that, it would be N-U-N sort of. Noon. But this word is now. Now. Which means you've got to make a choice now. Live in the now. Right? I love this. Ephesians 5.8. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the world. Walk as children of light. Therefore, my beloved, Philippians, as you have always obeyed, so now. Right? It's now. Maybe you're sitting here like, man, I've been living chronos. That's why I've been so bummed. I went into endurance mode. It's like those marathoners. Some of them are enduring this marathon. Others are enjoying the marathon. It all has to do with their mindset and the choice of their attitude. So some of you are like, I never even heard of Kairos. I got, well, dude, I got to check myself. Okay, you can do that now. You can do that now. Because check this out. Uh, Garrett, put up the 24 hours. Here's something we all have in common. That. What are you going to do with that? Or what's left of that for today? You're going to endure? You're going to live Kronos? You're going to live Kairos? Right? If someone said every day, hey, Vin, $1,440. Spend it or lose it today. What would you do? Guitar center. <laughs> You'd be there. I'm spending it. Right? If someone gave you $1,440 every morning and said, hey, spend it or lose it. Totally. I'm, I'm gone, right? Yeah, I'm thinking. I'm in. I'm in. I'm engaged in life. Well, everyone in this room, that's what we got. I don't, again, I, don't, I, don't, I can't do the math this fast, but I don't know how much we have left for today. But I do know that everyone in this room can make a choice to either to Karnas today or Kairos the rest of this day. And it's going to radically change everything. Some of you are going to lunch because you normally go to lunch. Are you going to go to lunch just to do lunch or are you going to Kairos lunch? Are you going to engage maybe at a deeper level in relationship? Right? It's Kairos. I love this. Second Corinthians 6. Paul's talking about his, his ministry. He says, Working together with him, then we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, In a favorable time I listened to you, and in a day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. I love uh, 2 Corinthians 6.2 in the NLT says this, Indeed, the right time is now. Today is the day of salvation. You don't even have to think about this. Just make a decision now. You can make a decision now to step into Kairos. Redeem the rest of the day. It's a choice you make in the now. That's the incredible, beautiful thing. You might have come in here burdened and kind of in the Kronos mindset. Da, da, da. Right now, literally, before you leave here, you can do a now moment. You can choose right now. Because the Bible says today, now is the day of salvation. Right now. Right now. But you don't know me and you don't know my story and you don't know where I've been. It doesn't matter. You can choose right now. Right now, there's a beautiful story. Some of you are familiar with the, the Nobel Peace Prize. Alfred Nobel, right? When you win the Nobel Peace Prize, you get that medal, a little certificate. That's Alfred Nobel. Alfred Nobel made his fortune working with explosives, nitroglycerin, dynamite, kind of like the mining industry, he made a lot of money. Some of it was used for war and became part of, you know, weapons and all that. Crazy thing happens in Alfred Nobel's life. In 1888, his brother Ludwig dies. The newspaper thought it was Alfred. So they wrote Alfred's obituary. Here's the headline of Alfred's obituary. The merchant of death is dead. Alfred Nobel reads the newspaper, the headline of his obituary. The merchant of death is dead. Dr. Alfred Nobel, who made his fortune by finding a way to kill the most people as ever before in the source of time, died yesterday. He's reading this. 
he is stopped in his tracks and says, no, no, I choose not to be remembered that way. And so he invested the rest of his life. He left the will eight years after he died in his will. This is where we get the Nobel Peace Prize. See, Alfred Nobel chose, made a, made a decision about how he wanted to be remembered. Not as the merchant of death, but as somebody who pursued peace on this planet. That's the same choice you and I have right now. Right now. There's a, there's a poem I often read at memorials called The Dash. Right, and I'm not going to say, but but the dash is that little symbol between your date of birth and your date of death, and the the, the poem really asks, what are you doing with your dash? What are you doing with your dash? Because that dash really represents your whole life, Sally, 85 years so far, and maybe the crazy thing is, in God's sovereignty, she might ask, outlast some of us. Right? It's, we don't know, but look right there. Here's the question. How are we redeeming your dash? So put your date of birth there. Make this real. Write it on your notes right now, if you want. Put your date of birth, put the dash, and put a question mark. Ask yourself, what is going to make all the difference? Kronos and Kairos. Are you going to live the rest of your dash just enduring it? Or are you going to choose to invest in Kairos? Be a part of God's bigger plan for his church and for your life. However long you have left. Because the truth is, none of us, no one in this room, no one listening online, you don't know how long you have. It's funny, right? Sally, you're sitting here and, and oh, Sally, she still has a tumor. Oh, Sally, she doesn't feel... And we tend to go, oh, Sally, for not realizing it could be, oh, me. Reminded of my brother here who's going to... a. Bible study at Seoul Park. How many years ago was this? Three and a half years ago. And, and he gets hit by a car. Almost dies on his way to a Bible study at Seoul Park Golf Course. Right? We don't know. But what we can do is choose to live Kairos. We can choose to love what they say, love extravagantly. You can, that person next to you, the person you don't even know yet, just love. Love God, love others. Kind of makes sense now, right? The two commandments is kairos. You want to live a kairos life? Love God with all your being. Love each other with all your being. That pretty much sums up kairos. Give yourself away. Give yourself away. You know how it ends. We're all going to meet in heaven someday. But until then, how about we just kairos this community? How about we just kairos? Give yourself away. And here's the great thing. The Bible says you can do it right now. Right now. Just make a choice. Yeah, now. Now. Now is the day of salvation. Put your faith in Jesus now. If you're a believer already, choose now. Snap out of Kairos or Kronos. Snap out of it. Turn to the person next to you and say, hey, snap out of it. You got to snap out of it, man. Come on. Come on. Snap out of it. Right? It feel better, huh? Let's pray. Father, thank you that you are a good, good father. Thank you for the incredible testimony of your faithfulness through Sally's life. And the crazy thing is, you're a good, good father to everyone in this room and everyone listening. You're still a good, good father. Our circumstances may not be good, our health may not be good, our finances may not be good, but Father, you are good all the time. And sometimes in the heaviness of life, in what's going on in our country, in this world, we lose sight of your goodness. We lose sight of who we are in Christ. We lose sight that our names are written in heaven. And so, Father, um, we don't want to just endure. We want to live Kairos lives. Lives that are fully engaged in the power of the Holy Spirit. Lives that make the most of every opportunity, every window. That we're fully engaged with life. 
So we take a moment now and Father, if we have been living chronos, we confess it. And Father, if uh, today is the day of salvation for someone here listening, I pray that they would put their faith in Jesus, just in the best way you know how. Just rely fully on Jesus for His finished work. And Father, I pray that we would be a church of Kairos. We would redeem the time, whether it's on a Sunday, whether it's a Monday, whether it's a function, anything, any time that the church is gathered, I pray it would be filled with Kairos people who are making the most of the opportunity in the power of the Holy Spirit. True agape, true koinonia. So Father, we sing this song about your goodness and we use it as a time of reflection and a time of decision, a choice we make at this very moment, a choice to leave the past behind, a choice to no longer be bound by lies, no longer be deceived. We choose because we can choose. We choose now, now to move forward in the power of the Holy Spirit according to your truth.